When most people start a new role, they are filled with a mix of excitement and anxiety. As the thrill of getting that job offer settles in, the fear of the expectations that your new boss and colleagues have of you also set in. There is a lot to learn, and if you come in as too confident, you worry that you can alienate your peers. But if you don't add value quickly enough by sharing your perspective, then you might worry that your new coworkers might question the decision to hire you in the first place. It can be a lot of pressure. In this conversation with Nick Mosgrove, who is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Emerald Health Therapeutics, we talk about the fine balance when starting a new role, and he gives us some perspective, some practical advice on how to fit in and make an impact quickly. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. Nick, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. Good. And your holiday? How was your holiday? Did you happen to get uh, sick during the holiday? Yeah, we uh, we had a bout of COVID through our family, so it was a, a less eventful holiday than normal, where you're you're out visiting people. You're a little bit homebound this year versus uh, versus others. Yeah, but everybody's okay. Is everybody fine? Yeah, it was uh, it was rather mild. So our kids bounced back remarkably quickly, and uh, my wife and I yeah, a couple day bout with with uh, obviously COVID. Okay, well, thank goodness for those vaccines. I'm sure it helped us all uh, all cope with it uh, a lot differently than we would have for those unfortunate uh, folks that haven't been able to get the vaccine or haven't gotten the vaccine. So, yeah, just a little bit of a plug for pe- folks to, if they haven't gotten their vaccines, please do do go out and yeah. do that. It does make a difference. Uh, I've witnessed it firsthand for sure. Yeah, uh, even post COVID, we we've taken on the booster as well. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, continue yeah. even if even if you had it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So I'm glad we've been able to have this this conversation here. Uh, you know, we've I don't know, I can't hard to put a number on it, but I think we've known each other for at least six or seven months. Yeah. Uh, just for my listeners, we got to know each other because I did some work with the company that you you work with. Uh, you came into the mix about halfway into my tenure working with this uh, with this organization, so doing some leadership work and some strategic uh, alignment work. And I'll tell you the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you um, is that, you know, very quickly, I would say probably within weeks of you joining the organization, as I talked to other members, other colleagues of yours on the leadership team, you were making an impact. You know, what you were doing, your thinking, your articulation of what was important was coming through. And we, I'll, I'll just put a pin in that for now. I'd love to come back to some of the insights that we can draw from that experience. But I was intrigued. I was intrigued that somebody could come in so quickly and make an impact so quickly. And so 
perhaps we'll dive into a little bit of what you did in those first few weeks to, to as a lesson to other people that are starting new companies, starting new jobs. And what are some of the things that you try to do right out of the gate to, to, to make an impact and to get to know the organization, to understand what the issues are? Uh, I'm sure some of my listeners will be very interested in that. But before we go there, a little bit about you. Why don't you tell us what your role is now? And then the big, deep question that I don't know uh, how you're going to react to this question is, what's your contribution to the world? What what do you do to make a difference uh, in this day and age? So let's just start with the basics. Tell me what you do. Great. So, yeah, it's a good one. Contribution to the world. It's like, uh, what's the greater purpose or, you know, life, life goal, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it, you know, when it comes to business or, or working, I really just enjoy um, trying to have that more thoughtful impact on business. So really thinking about long-term success versus um, short-term quarterly objectives or mm. annual um, contributions. So for me, I, I really want to take a business from A to Z, not A to D and, and so on and so forth. Mm. So really trying to put together pieces uh, that are more meaningful and long-term mm. um, that have strategy around it. In my current role, uh, I'm VP of sales and marketing. I manage a team, a small team of seven and very diverse groups. So I've got three key account managers and a couple marketing marketing individuals on the team. Mm-hmm. And we're driving commercial success throughout the, the recreational cannabis uh, segment in Canada. Okay. Okay. And you've been there for how long now? I started August 9th, so it's okay. a short tenure uh, yeah. so far, um, yeah. but been, as you say, it's been quite an adventure yeah. in, in the short amount of time I've been yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. So VP of sales and marketing, uh, one of the things I took away mm-hmm. is you really, really are drawn to challenges where you're not being asked to think short-term, but there's a long-term uh, long-term objective you're trying to, to get to. Uh, can you give me an example of what you think of uh, in business as being kind of a short-term pressure that sometimes you might be, um, uh, some of us might be pushed towards to deliver that isn't as exciting, but sometimes it happens. Yeah, I think we all have those kind of objectives through the course of our career where you're, you've got a short-term initiative on um, inventory clearing or, or something that's drawn to an end of a quarter or end of year target. Yeah. And Many, many times what you see is you go out and you're executing against whether it be a number to hit an end of year target that mm. actually impacts your, your next year negatively. Mm. So you're, you're putting a ton of effort and pouring a ton of effort into something that's not going to be a sustainable cycle year over year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another good one is, especially in cannabis, is inventory clearing. So with the amount of inventory that sits in vaults um, across Canada, there's this pressure to move that inventory out. And if you make that your primary focus, what I've seen, especially uh, my time at TerraSend is we were so focused on moving that inventory that we forgot about driving the core, mm. core SKUs in our brand and really resetting yourself on recognizing that the core of your business or the core SKUs in your portfolio are driving millions of dollars versus that inventory clearing may may only be a fraction of, of the value of those those popular SKUs in the market. Mm-hmm. And what would you think of as a long-term thing, something that inspires you uh, in, in business? What would be an example of something? It could be your current role. It could be other, other roles. What kind of gets you excited about the long-term? 
you know, I can think of a few, a few success uh, stories where you're uh, really capitalizing on, on heart, hot markets or, or popular products. So mm. at Campari, for instance, we had um, Aperol and Aperol uh, world renowned uh, cocktail mm-hmm. uh, ingredient and famously known for the Aperol script. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, over the course of my tenure there, really doubling down on the investment and, and exposure of that product in the Ontario market mm-hmm. uh, benefited that organization significantly. And, you know, when you think about the building blocks that you put in place over the course of a year, you're accelerating a brand sometimes 30, 35%. And that creates another great stepping stone for the following year. Mm. And I think about uh, brand building in that manner where you're trying to create momentum behind brands that accelerate a brand over not just one year, but a number of years. Mm. So you're t- taking a long-term perspective to growing uh, a brand uh, as opposed to the short-term example of just moving product uh, in inventory and getting it out the door. Uh, yeah. So I can see, I can see the, I can see the difference. So we'll dive a little bit more into the business aspects of things. I'd love to get a, a bit into what made you who you are, what made you the leader that you are. And uh, um, my listeners will know that I, I really do believe that if we can draw lessons from our childhood, from our early adolescence, from our adolescence, early career to explain how we show up in the world today, there's can be the source of some great insight. So if I can ask you, if is there an experience, a person, place, experience that that you think was a defining defining moment for you yeah so as a kid we we actually moved quite a bit my mom uh was fortunate enough to be in um a position where we had the opportunity to move for her career mm-hmm. and lived uh, throughout the u.s uh, for most of my uh, late elementary school and early high school uh, education and so i lived in texas florida connecticut kentucky and ohio Okay. And through my, through my younger years. And I attribute a lot of my interpersonal skills and being able to meet new people and kind of, you know, read a room to having those new introductions and being in new schools and, and, and flowing, um, kind of rolling with the punches, so to speak. Okay. Well, let's get really specific here. Cause a lot of people go through that as, as, as you know, moving around. I've talked to people that, you know, ha- grew up in military families, always moving around. So give yeah. me the list of States again, uh, Kentucky. Texas, yeah, go ahead. Texas, Florida, uh, Connecticut, Kentucky, Ohio. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. out of all those places, which did you find the most difficult to kind of uh, get into or adjust to? Yeah, I think that one's a, there's a, there's a bit of a toss up. So Texas was interesting. We were in Southern Texas down near uh, Corpus Christi. So really in, in the very South end of Texas. So as a Canadian new to the U.S., it was a very interesting transition, just, you know, culture shock uh, with uh, the influence of, of Mexico being right there and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great food, different style of people. Texas is that big, grand, outspoken kind of place to be. Being a, a young Canadian there was interesting. And then Florida was in a, a bit of a different spot, too. So we lived in Plantation, Florida. Oh. And... You know, that was my first experience with like, uh, unfortunately, like gang violence and so on. So oh. going into elementary school with ra- uh, metal detectors at the doors with a posted police officer in the building uh, was a bit of a, an, an eye opener, again, for a younger Canadian. Yeah. How old were you at that time during that experience? So that would have been like grade 
six and seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what was your, uh, were you afraid? What were, what were you thinking when you were going to school during that time? I would say it was uh, afraid. Everybody's, you know, pleasant. Uh, I would say the culture shock from being a, a kid who played hockey to now being, you know, a lot more football oriented. Okay. Uh, the, the change in, in kind of preferred sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everybody was uh, great to get along with, lots of interesting interactions with um, people because you're Canadian. So mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of like the soft spoken guy from this fantasy place that a lot of people from down there would never have the opportunity to go to, right? Okay. As, as yeah. little kids. So yeah. that intriguing conversation around what's Canada like, what's snow like for many of them because they've <laughs> not experienced it. Like, yeah. do you live in an igloo? Like, yeah. Those things actually come up. <laughs> misconceptions, the famous misconceptions of, of Canada down south. In any of that time, childhood years, uh, was there a person, a teacher, a particular moment or experience that, you know, um, you still kind of comes back into your brain um, every so often in your life. This is a reminder. No, I, I'd say a lot of the things that I reflect on from great teachers would be more so the high school. Like I've got a, a high school teacher that uh, taught history that was just really instrumental in, in helping you think differently about, you know, learning styles and, and writing styles. And for a history teacher to take the time out to really give you that kind of uh, extra attention in those areas uh, really meant a lot. And so, yeah, I'd say no, it, more so my high school and college career, they're more impactful indiv- individuals there that were hmm. um, a little bit more helpful. Well, that's interesting out. you say that because it was actually a, I, there's a history teacher that I would say was influential to me. But the funny thing is, it was a history teacher for my youngest son. And it was probably four or five years ago, I went into to an open house uh, at their school. And the teacher was talking about a project they'd given them. They'd assigned them a particular soldier uh, from World War II, a Canadian member of the Canadian Armed Forces. And they asked them to construct that individual story by doing research. Mm-hmm. And the passion by which that teacher was kind of instructing, engaging the students I was just enthralled hearing him talk about the assignment and knowing for my son how much he was enjoying that class. And I left that room thinking, wow, I would love to do that. But of course, I'm like, you know, I don't know, 48, 49 years old thinking, oh, I've passed my time. But it did make a mark on me. And, And actually, I do think it had an influence in some of the path I've chosen the last few years about what to do with my, my career. So, you know, teachers can have an impact and influence. And I love you drawing the history example. It's um, when I think of those individuals, it's not necessarily that I want to go and do what they do, mm-hmm. but I want to have the impact that they have. So mm. there's a guy, Rich Andrews, who uh, was our president at Bacardi a number mm. of years ago when I worked there. And he just led with just a, a very easygoing, very, very well thought out, well spoken individual, mm-hmm. and I I often reflect on how can I be more more as a, a very it's much around the is um, very as a very pointed leader. Like just, mm. he always knew where he was going. There was mm. never any doubt that there was um, mm. that that was the direction based on how he conveyed himself. Mm. So it's, it's so interesting you say that. Like the the signal you picked up is that there was never any doubt. He was calm, seemed confident, and always seemed to know what direction the business should go in. I don't know about you, but there are lots of times in my career in life that 
I I didn't know the direction that we should be going in. And yeah. if I reflect back, I wonder if the people that were on my team realized that I didn't know. <laughs> and I don't know, what's, what's your reflection on your career and how often you knew exactly what to do and whether that came across the people you worked with? I often get, on that note, I often get that you know, the feedback from my team is, is typically that even if the house is on fire, you'd never know it with yeah. it. Because I'm, I'm a pretty laid back individual, especially from a leadership style. I am direct. Um, so the things that I need to get done, I'm, I'm pretty vocal on, you know, how we should go about it and what we should do. But yeah, from, for me, it's really about thinking about the strategy of what we're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. knocking out the noise of things that are causing interference against the key priorities in the strategy. So mm-hmm. really thinking about, do we need to be doing these four, four, five, six style objectives? Mm-hmm. And, and moving forward and doubling down on the things that we're making money on. Mm-hmm. So let's so, let, let's dive in a little bit there because, as I said, um, one of the things that I picked up on um, as I was getting to know you is individuals on your team, your colleagues, as I was dealing with them one-on-one, often said that you were providing the level of clarity and direction that the organization needed in your sphere of influence and maybe even a little bit outside of your sphere of influence. So how do you go about thinking through when you enter a new organization? I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this. How do you go about learning about the business, about the organization and prioritizing what needs to happen? What's your process? Yeah, so um, (laughs) I would say for me, it's really about getting entrenched really quickly. So the, the only way to do that is having conversations with all the key stakeholders. But within that process, you also have to really identify quickly who those key stakeholders are. So um, right off the hop, I, I do my best to book as many meetings as I can to have those introductory conversations mm-hmm. with as many people as I possibly can. And it's really not about title. It's mm-hmm. really about getting to know as many people across the organization as I possibly can. And, and what I find in organizations is organizations are made and broken by five or six critical individuals. Mm. And a lot of times there's one or two of those in that five or six that aren't necessarily directors, managers. It's, it, it could be somebody like your shipping receiving guy that mm. uh, is driving inventory of the door and plays a, a critical role from not only um, in inventory replenishment, but provincial relationships and, and things of that nature. So mm. um First off, it's identifying those key individuals, getting the sense of what everybody does, Mm -hmm. and then really mirroring that up to what the organization is trying to achieve. And are what people doing uh, in their day-to-day, are those things laddering up to what the objective is for the organization Mm -hmm. and the strategy? And so what I found here was uh, we were doing a lot of things that weren't actually laddering up to the things we were trying to achieve um, as an organization that was set up by the CEO. And um, so in a meeting about a month in, we were having a, uh, one of those deep dive conversations about what are the three things we're going to get done? You actually led that. Um, oh, yeah, as really you recall, uh, yeah. what are the three things that we really need to get done in the next 90 days for us to be successful and yeah. start off 2022 with a bang? And one of the things that came out of it was, as you recall, strategy roadmap. And right. we had started some work on that prior to actually writing the document. Um, because there was some pushback within the organization that, well, there was a strategy and it, there was, but it wasn't well-defined and flushed out and, and so on. So, so the next step is, 
identifying that strategy roadmap. Once you've mm-hmm. defined people and understand what people are doing, does that ladder mm-hmm. up the strategy roadmap? And then the final step is identifying do you have the right people in the right spots to be able to execute against what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so quickly, uh, unfortunately, in some cases, it's making quick calls on on people to mm-hmm. either shift their responsibilities, something that's actually going to drive more impact within the organization, uh, or bring in sometimes, in, in, in some cases, new talent to to cover a need that's not being met. Mm-hmm. So when you, it's interesting you say that, and, and you're doing this as a person that's newly coming into the organization. So just summarize a couple of points that really resonated for me there was the idea of talking to as many people as possible and not being driven by hierarchy in the organization to look in every corner to identify the five or six individuals, as you said, that can make or break a company. And it could be, you know, shipping, receiving, it could be um, somebody in finance, but find those people. What's your favorite question to ask when you're in those conversations with people to, to get a sense of what's going on and get a sense of their perspective? Well, (laughs) it's usually what were you hired to do? Mm. And what are you doing now? Mm. So, you know, the, the difference on paper, and I, I find that the most puzzling part of, of being a leader in any organization mm. is we hire people for these great roles and we hire this great talent. And then they're doing something completely against why, you know, the, the core competence that was core competencies that we hired them for. And they're not actually uh, leveraging those to, to help have that, have our organization be more successful. Mm. So usually it's starting with something like that. The one that I always catch people off guard with is what do you want to be when you grow up? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, why are you, why are you here and how does this get you to there? Um, yeah. So, you know, people often have some, some great hidden skills that you can really leverage when you start to really dig into what they want to be later in life. Yeah. And why do you think that catches people off guard? Because I agree with you. That is a question that does catch people off guard. Um, but why do you think it is that way? You know, I think uh, people spend more time figuring out what they're going to have for dinner or where they're going on vacation than they do career planning. And yeah. so many people don't have the answer because they really haven't thought that in depth about it. And they've typically flowed gone with the flow of where their career has led them instead of taking charge and leading their career. Deliberate steps to figure out where they want to go as opposed to, and they end up in a place where they end up. And, and some people are pretty lucky to, to end up luckily in a place that just feels right. But more people than more people actually end up in a place that is misaligned to who they are or what they wanted to be when they grow, uh, they grew up. And, and to your point, it's, in many cases, it's probably misaligned to what their where their where their skill set is. Yeah. They've gotten to somewhere based on experience yeah. and stuff that they've done in the past, but not necessarily because it ladders up to their education or their you know I'm super organized, I'm really analytical, but I'm doing I'm a shipper receiver or right right it's it, when they could have been a great business analyst or something to that effect. Yeah, and yeah. what's interesting is a lot of times. In, in group projects, you find those diamonds in the rough that have those capabilities that end up being a superstar on a project team because they've got a role mismatch alignment and they've got some bandwidth because they're in a, a lower a lower performing role that does, doesn't have as much demand. So they mm. have time for these great projects. So yeah. I really like pulling those individuals out as, as superstars in, in project work. So that's really rewarding when you identify somebody, you see something that perhaps means they have more potential than they're exhibiting and you put them, put them in a place and you see them, you see them flourish. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing better than having somebody. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it creates a bond with the organization, the people yeah. within the organization, but also a bond between that individual and the company. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, keeps them from maybe looking elsewhere when they get those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Are there individuals that you've come across in your career like that, that you've helped kind of mobilize and find their passion that you still stay in touch with? Yeah. It, what's interesting about my network is, I'm not great at it. And I think everybody needs to work at it and mm-hmm. really staying in, in contact with your network. But I would say that from um, from a building teams perspective, I have had the ability to hire people multiple times uh, mm. in certain cases. And there are definitely uh, people within my network that I, I stay in touch with quite constantly, mm. just checking in and see how family's doing and so on. One individual in particular uh, worked for me in that project uh, style fashion and, and worked his way up into more of a key account manager level mm. role and really has expanded his talents into being, I think he's, a, you know, from, from where he wanted to be to where he's gone, uh, really tested himself from not wanting to be customer facing, not wanting to deal with, you know, the other end of the phone and has become a very solid key account manager. Mm. in his career. Mm. What do you think the turning point was for him? I think like any of us, it's about getting that exposure to it and right. seeing if, if the shoe fits. Right. Um, if to try it on a little bit uh, before you uh, feel confident yeah. that you can do the work. Yeah, that, that really resonates with me because I always believe that even if an experience didn't go well, if you can take the time to draw insight from what you learned from that experience and kind of fold it into your self-discovery, uh, it makes you much more inclined to take on things that you don't think you will like because you might be surprised or you might be validated that you, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't think I'd like this. <laughs> I, I knew I wouldn't like it, but it's okay. But every experience is is a, is a good one. Uh, so that's really, really good advice. You know, we, we were talking earlier about how, you know, you when you start into an organization, how you go about learning about the organization. You know, one of the things I've come across in, in various experiences, I've had new bosses that have said, you're coming into the organization. I want to capture your objective insight before you become one of us. Yeah. And so what do you think that is the best way to make sure that when you come into an organization, there's kind of two tensions as I see it. You come into the organization, in some ways you want to fit in to the culture, but you also yeah, come into the organization having this objective perspective and you're hired for who you are. And so sometimes your objective perspective might rock the boat and that can be valuable, but it can also be seen by some as, oh, this guy doesn't understand our culture or what we do. How do you reconcile those two forces? I try and do it quietly, I guess, is is my strategy on it. I, you know, that first notebook that you have and (laughs) for for week one in the back of it, I actually have a a notepad uh, at the back where I'm taking notes on things that I'm observing that I think are a little odd. Mm. Um, and really trying to keep track of those things. And it's not about necessarily acting on everything right out of the gate. It's about putting together some sort of strategy on how you're going to tackle some of these larger topics. So for me, it's quietly taking notes, getting to a point where I've reconciled it internally to make sure I feel confident in, in the direction, asking good questions around some of the, the ambiguous stuff that's going on, whatever the case may be. And then you know, putting together some recommendations, whether it comes out in the senior leadership team meetings or uh, during one-on-ones with mm. uh, the boss. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, for me, it's not necessarily about making waves. 
um, although I, I tend to, you know, shoot from the hip a little bit in terms of calling out things uh, in meetings. I don't mind being a little bit confrontational when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. It's never my intention to make people feel outed or it's it's about spurring conversation, not about changing uh, things right out of the gate. Well, actually, I think, I think now that you say that, I think you're getting to the heart of, of my observations and it it was meandering journey there, but it's somewhere in this zone of, you come in, you have a view, you have a perspective, you come with experience, especially if you're an executive like yourself that's worked in different organizations. Uh, but there is a tendency for people to feel like, oh, this guy's coming in and thinks they know it all. Uh, I'm not saying that happened to you, but I'm just saying that is a that is one of the things that happens. And so what I'm hearing from you is a bit of a balance that you do have to listen and observe, quietly take notes and reflect, while at the same time making sure you don't waste opportunities to be vocal and speak up and take risks to say when you disagree with something. And that's what I'm picking up. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when I think about good leaders, you have to be a risk taker in order to kind of <laughs> try to think of the, the polite way to say it. But there are people in all of our careers that have, you've, you've sat alongside and you wonder why they haven't been more vocal on certain topics, especially when they own the area. So for me, especially when it's, you know, something commercial facing, I always want to be the most outspoken person on, on the commercial or marketing front, just because mm-hmm. it's my host and I want my team to feel supported. When it comes to other people's arena, I'm, I'm probably asking more questions and guiding a little bit more in mm-hmm. terms of um, trying to seek to understand their position before I tell them my position, mm-hmm. uh, because I want that partnership. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a level of risk-taking that's super important uh, especially, you know, when I think about the, your peer set and, and your colleagues that you're, you're trying to form bonds with, um, you want them to see that vulnerable side with you. So you, you want to be able to, you know, have that kind of that, that team building session almost. Mm. It's, it's, it's that camaraderie that is created through those mm-hmm. difficult times that allows you to be more successful in the long term. Mm-hmm. What, kind, what kind of signals do you, do you try to pick up on or either you look for them or they just kind of show up to you? Different people have different abilities to sense. When you're picking up the dynamics in a team, you're, you're working with different types of people. Some are yeah. very quiet, but very intelligent. Some are, um, you know, a little bit more vocal, but maybe not fully informed. Uh, some people are sensitive. Some people are a bit more that thick skin. How do you kind of navigate a new organization with new teams and new people to figure that out? I would say I, I probably have to work on it more than, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't know about you, but there's often those points in your, in your day where you're reflecting on a conversation. You're like, oh, I missed that one. And so it makes you think, man, I, I got to work a little harder to make sure I'm asking maybe a few more questions before I make uh, assumptions. But mm-hmm. I think about, you know, those initial conversations and really trying to understand people through and through. So it's not just about business, but it's, you know, what's your home life like? Do you have kids? Work experience? Where did you come from? Mm-hmm. You know, traveling? Where'd you go to school? Like those kind of things to really help build the full character. It's hard when you only know the work individual, right? It's mm-hmm. um, You don't get a clear sense of, who they are as a person and what motivates them. Mm. So taking the extra time to really try and understand all those moving pieces, I think gives you a better sense of who they are. Mm. And then once you identify that there might be a little bit more sensitivity or a little bit more thick skin, 
your conversations are definitely shaped differently. And mm -hmm. I feel I always lean towards everybody having thick skin because yeah. in business, you know, there's really no hard feelings. It's about, you know, how do we improve slightly every day? Like that yeah. X plus yeah. one mentality. Yeah. And so I often have to reflect on my own, um, you know, trying to be a little bit more sensitive to mm. people who aren't uh, built the same way that I am. Mm. So you start with a, uh, you start with a position of being candid yeah. and then sometimes you have to pull that back when you re when you see the reaction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. think that's, I think that's in my opinion, this is my opinion. That's for me much better than the other way where you're afraid to speak up because you don't want to hurt the feelings. I personally think it's actually, as long as you're learning from it, putting yourself out there, being direct and being able to sense when you've kind of touched a nerve and then appropriately pulling back, not too much, but just enough or articulating it. So I, I think that approach is good. Everybody's got a different approach, but I think that's one to be celebrated. Um, it's not celebrated enough, to be honest with you. You know, it, it's interesting because you've got a bunch of new individuals entering the workforce these days that yeah. haven't necessarily had as much not as many roadblocks, I think. Mm. Uh, maybe that's my perspective, but mm. it'll be interesting to see over the next little bit how you know COVID shapes some of these conversations and how you know working remotely and not having those personal interactions at work and and so on mm. uh, shapes uh, work working in general over the next few years. Yeah. Well, actually, that's probably a good place to start bringing our conversation to a close. I'm very curious. Not to make you a, a soothsayer or a forecaster, but in your view, what do you think is going to be important for leaders to, to focus on, given the fact we've been working the way we've been working for the last two years? It may change. It may not change. It may be some kind of new hybrid of the two. What, do you, what, what for you is going to be important to, in your leadership going forward? I feel like you know the, the thing that I'll take away from the last few experiences that I've had are, are really what are the extremes? So when, when doing business planning, that whiteboarding session that we all do a couple times a year, I'm going to focus more on, on, you know, what does extreme change look like? And what might that, how, how, that, how might that influence our business more dynamically? Because the, the only thing I've seen is that change has been relatively constant over the last couple of years, and that it doesn't seem to be going away. And yeah. so we take these mitigating steps to kind of put a band-aid band solution on, on what we think is a temporary reality. But the, 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 the thing that we've learned is that it's not temporary mm -hmm. and that we've got to be a little bit more proactive in our thinking to be, be, be almost true to ourselves and where, where our businesses are going. Mm -hmm. So taking that almost radical approach to what might change look like, what are, these th what are the things that we're going to tackle over the next six to 12 months that are really going to be meaningful for our business long-term? Mm -hmm. And, and how do we how do we shape those and set ourselves up for success to, to tackle those great problems? So if I'm if I'm hearing this, maybe a way that I'm I'm taking this is as we've experienced change, some pretty significant change, and we've pivoted and reacted to things along the way. Uh, your view of the future is how do you take that dynamic and actually shift towards not just pivoting and reacting to things that happen, but in fact stimulating change ourselves and looking yeah. for opportunities to get better without it being imposed on us. Would that be accurate? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Thanks for the great summary. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of what I do. You you add the value, I I package it. That's how that's how these <laughs> conversations go. Uh, Nick, it's been really great great talking to you, and I know that we'll continue to stay in contact and and speak. But wish you all the very best for 2022. I hope it's an excellent, prosperous, successful, and a, a year full of self discoveries for you. All the best. Thanks for having me, Shaquille. It's been great. So some great advice there from Nick. First of all, when you're starting a new job, make it a priority to set up as many conversations as possible. A mix of senior people and other key people in junior positions, but who are seen as important to the operations of the organization. Just the act of figuring out who those people are in itself is insightful. I remember when I was young in my very first role in corporate Canada, a senior Vice President gave me the advice, be a sponge, talk to as many people as possible and just be a sponge for as long as you can. I think that's the advice that Nick gave us too. Next, he talked about asking questions of these people that you set meetings up with. Find out who they are. What are their ambitions? What motivates them? Understand what they are trying to do in their jobs and where they want to go in their careers. From the senior leaders, understand what the strategy is. Ask questions to figure out what are the objectives and what's important. And then as you talk to people, see if you can connect the dots between what people are doing on a day-to-day basis and what the strategy is of the organization. And if there's a misalignment, there may be an opportunity for you to call that out and help the organization address the gap. We talked about how there's a balance between being accepted, becoming part of the team, listening, and being sensitive as well as adding value through objectivity, perspective, and the candor that's available to you when you start in a new place. Listen and pay attention enough to learn what and who are important. Ask good questions before saying what you think. That way, when you speak directly about your observations, you have earned the respect of others and they know your intentions are good. I hope you found that helpful and have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.